This episode of The Ride is brought to you by Farnham. Admit it, bugs suck. They're the last thing you want hanging around your horse and stable. Our friends at Farnham can help rid your barn of these annoying, filthy, disease-carrying bad guys. If you're ready for the best way to protect your horse, your stable, and yourself, look to Farnham's no-fly zone solution. The people over at Farnham have discovered the best way to set yourself up for success is by fighting on all fronts. With their three-stage approach of block, repel, reduce, you can be sure flies, mosquitoes, and ticks are kept away. Go to Farnham.com, that's F-A-R-N-A-M.com, to learn more and download a free copy of the Horse Owner's Guide to Creating Your Own No-Fly Zone. Plus, you can find money-saving offers to help get you on your way to a fly-free zone. Farnham, your partner in fly control. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Ride. I'm Jillian and I'm here with my co-host Nicole. And today we have on Tim Christensen, who is a multiple world champion, Western dressage trainer, and one of our newest horse and rider on demand experts. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Tim. Why don't we start by you telling our listeners a little bit about your background and kind of how you got started. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. But my name is Tim Christensen and I'm in Mayaca City, Florida. I originally, I was born and raised and lived most of my life up in Michigan. Started out with horses, like many people did through the 4-H programs. Worked my way up through the AQHA circuit. Judge showed, we showed at a national level. My family and I had been blessed with incredible horses. Primarily doing the Western Pleasure and the all-around events. Trail, Western ridings, you know, all the different, all those different. So I've had a strong background most of my life in, in the horses. I was blessed that I showed in the, the 4-H era and I was at a county in Kent County, Michigan, which was huge back then. We'd have 600 horses at our shows and we had a real strong local circuit aqha back i can remember when we used to hear about the quarter horse shows was was the new and up and coming and we just worked our way up through the ranks and just you know had some pretty good success with it i was introduced into the into the western dressage in 2015 i was going to go down to the foxley winter circuit which was their big quarter horse week-long show that they would host in January following the Gold Coast and the Gulf Coast. And they were going to have Western dressage. And I had been contacted and kind of lassoed into participating. Um, And so I decided I would do that. So I decided I was going to go in there and I better at least have a little bit of an idea what I was doing. So I had a couple of friends who trained locally dressage here. So they came and gave me a few lessons and I decided to go and some of my clients wanted to participate. So we showed, we started the intro level and the basic level because I really didn't really know what I was doing. So I didn't want to go in there and pretend I did and, and went into the upper levels. We also coming from the all around background, we entered all the classes we could. You know, we did all four of the tests and all the divisions. And, you know, I think when I got there, they were saying they put it together and they never really had anybody do all that. But it worked out. Um, and since then, I've realized, you know, that in dressage, you don't do a million tests. Um, you can do up to four. But that really launched the whole thing for me. That was in, like I said, 2015. Lynn Palm had been a strong supporter behind it. And she had donated um, to the high score of the show tuition-free um, voucher to one of her schools. And I, I had the high score. And I remember she called me and she said, look, you're not going to want to come to one of the schools that I have. She said, why don't you come and do the symposium? 
And she said that would be really geared towards the professionals. So I went ahead and did that. And that kind of really launched me. I really learned a lot by studying there and showed at one of her early shows. And and it just kind of launched me into a whole new era. My clients were all kind of gung ho and they all decided that they would jump on board and go ahead and do this. And so I kind of looked at the whole venture and opportunity thought, you know, at this stage of the game, am I going to catch another national wave? So it kind of, we started and it took off and we loved it. So here we are many years later. Very cool. I'm also from the Midwest. I am. I'm actually from Illinois and I grew up doing the all around circuit. And, and it's it's so true. I mean, the the Midwest was such a, a heavy all around sport that spot that you really got to to be around some of the best in the country. Many of Gordyville's I have been. To. So, yep. Oh, yeah. So rest in peace, Patty. But yeah, no. So when did you were you already living in Florida at the time when you I was went going to- back and forth um, okay. in Florida? I would you I have the the Michigan barn. My parents owned the, the farm up there and I had a farm next door and I would really was coming down here for the winters. And I've been down here pretty much most of the year for about 10 years now. And yeah, so we're based here in Mayaka City, which is just east of um, Sarasota, Lakewood Ranch area and in a pretty heavy duty horse area. But yeah, you know, in the Midwest is really a strong territory for the all around well, i would say the all around industry and i always attribute that to the congress you know the congress because so many people got to go to the congress and you know down here it's you know all the other disciplines are huge and that discipline kind of has kind of lost its seam has gone down so would you say that you know the all around is very strong up in the midwest would you have you noticed where the western massage kind of has its home and across the country would you say florida or where have you seen it the most? absolutely it would be florida and florida has been a real strong strong our local association is thriving doing very well and but florida's got a strong contingency and when you get in the western dressage association they recognize that and but there's a lot of us down here we jumped on the bandwagon we were very proactive you know and i always say you know when you look at the hunter jumper discipline you look at the dressage discipline Pretty much Florida is a mecca for a lot of those and a lot of those folks. So a lot of the people who really jumped into the Western dressage came from the breed background, most of them from the all around background, and they just kind of were ready for a change. So they knew dressage, you know, they've heard about it. So they knew, you know, kind of what it was. And a lot of people just jumped on the bandwagon and gave it a try. So, yeah, so Florida's been really strong. Yeah, and we're very proud of that too down here. We've worked hard. You you had mentioned that, you know, people were, were doing the all around and they were ready to try something new. The really lovely part about the Western dressage is that truly all of our horses should be doing those fundamentals. What you're doing in the dressage stuff those horses doesn't matter if you do raining cow horse all around whatever i mean those fundamentals should be coming from that classical dressage background did you find that that you had when you transitioned from the all around stuff and your clients did was it kind of an easy transition knowing like okay i need to be able to bend my horse move their hip push them this way kind of get them to go off my leg this way Yes, it was a, it was actually a very smooth and easy transition. You know, the biggest thing that I hurdles and obstacles that I had 
is I had strong, successful all-around horses that had all the buttons on them, you know, the spur stops, and you squeeze, and they slowed down. So I had to redo all those horses. But what you said there is dressage actually means training. And so when you look at the fundamentals, absolutely, they all fall into place. And I tell everybody that whether you want to come and do Western dressage and just play with it and add it to what you do, it all works because Western dressage or dressage is going to enhance your all-around stuff and everything just kind of interacts. So I've had people that, you know, their circles are pretty, they understand the fundamentals, where they're going, and it just really helps. So the biggest challenge, like I said, was I had to reprogram all my horses you know to go forward and to feel comfortable going forward but yeah but outside of that it was a pretty smooth transition i feel like the western dressage is something that is very beneficial to riders in other disciplines because it really does make you get your horse so collected and off your leg and things like we have already talked about and so is that something that you do a lot of do you work with riders from the all around and give them you know a clinic or a lesson on how to use the western dressages with their discipline we don't do that specifically you know um, point blank but we have when we do the clinics we have a lot of all around people come and they have fun with it and they realize that it really does it's beneficial you know one of the things that i've always told them you know coming from judging in the past is when you come in the arena and you know in the dressage you trot down that center line and you halt through the working walk with a nice square halt and i always said you know when those judges are going to turn and look at you at, at the cone for an equitation pattern or for a horsemanship pattern you know you work on your horse and he's going to be standing there in a frame and we always call it the barometer you know when those judges are going to turn and look at you the first impression sets the barometer and you're going to be sitting there poised and looking you know, in a beautiful frame, it's a nice picture. You're going to start high in the barometer. So if things kind of go down, you're going to go down. But if you start mediocre on the barometer and you have a bobble, you're going to go lower. But when you start higher, absolutely. So, yeah, it, all, it really helps. So. And, you know, I think a lot of the breed judges are really now looking for the riders who can ride. You know, I think that has really transitioned over the last probably the last decade in, in the breed associations that the riders are really riding the horses and the judges are, are, you know, recognizing that and rewarding it. So, you know, the pretty riders, the talented riders are, have definitely come through. So I, I, you mentioned Lynn Palm a little earlier, obviously that's a, that's a very big name in the Western dressage. I, I think she was kind of one of the, the leaders in it and getting it to become more of a, a recognized a sport. Cause you know, I mean, we've always heard of dressage, but I feel like in the last decade or so Western dressage has really made a mark and we're seeing it at like the quarter horse world show now. And, and some of the, the color, you know, the color breeds have it in their events. Do you still, did you take any advice from her to kind of, get started in the western dressage from that symposium oh yeah you know i worked for lynn for about a year when she won the super horse in 1985 with rugged lark and i was young and so i had a relationship with lynn for many many years and lynn was you know she kind of she was one who said you, you need to come do this and so she was really a big proponent and 
when I went to her farms, we did their shows and her and Cyril, you know, I took lessons with Cyril a little bit and really got going and, and a lot of direction there. But Lynn has been a really big pioneer for a lot of the different disciplines, particularly through the breed associations. You know, she's been a big one. She got through traditional dressage and AQHA. She was very instrumental in getting Western dressage in, getting out of the world show. I know that she's working really hard to have a recognized now as a world championship class rather than a stakes class. So, yeah, she's been a big pioneer and, you know, we all are very grateful to her endeavors. You know, she's she's kind of paved the way for a lot of us to, to to enjoy these in the breeds associations. Definitely, I want to say household name, especially in the dressage, but honestly, just the horse industry, especially around yeah. here in Florida. You're from Florida, I'm from Florida, and we are kind of, like we mentioned earlier, surrounded by the traditional dressage. It's the Mecca here. How would you say that the Western dressage has been accepted like are they accepting of the western dressage or do you work with traditional dressage riders and trainers a lot or how has that kind of meshed together well that's a really good question because it's been a, a a journey you know and we had to laugh because now we've judged so with so or shown with so many of the, of the traditional judges because when it first got started you know you have to look that western dressage association of america is under the umbrella of the united states equestrian federation so that is kind of who our mothership is and so when we first started a lot of our judges were traditional judges that were granted you know judges cards because they knew all the different levels and we had four different levels and they knew the upper levels so we had i remember we showed to one judge here a while back and we were he did a clinic afterwards and we were talking he said boy he said when we first started you know the judges didn't know much about western and us westerns we didn't know much about traditional and he said over the years is they become really comfortable now looking at all the different gates and looking at the jogs versus the trots and the lopes versus the canners and we as well have become much more talented and we kind of know what we're doing now you know we we know what the forward is we know laterals and you know we we're, we're understanding it so the whole thing has kind of been a journey together you know that we've seen through a lot of the judges and a lot of the writers you have more and more traditional writers are coming on over and giving it a whirl or they may even have horses that maybe don't have the giant moves for the traditional but they are now recognizing that maybe this horse could have a path in the western dressage. so yeah so it has really been a really good positive thing you know and now we have you know the associations the uscf and wda are have got a good strong judges school judges program where these judges are coming and having a lot of exposure. But yeah, so I think the traditional world kind of at first looked at us and thought, hmm, who are these cowboys and cowgirls? But now they're realizing and very accepting of us. And even some of us have now stepped over into the traditional side. You know, and I did that with a couple of horses so I could really learn and understand what we're doing and where it's coming from and where we're going. I think another really cool thing to point out about the Western dressage when you're not competing at like a AQHA specific horse show is the different breeds that do participate in these events. They're open to any breed essentially. And actually you've shown quite a few gypsy vanners. Can you kind of tell our listeners a little bit about like what attracted you to the gypsy vanners in a Western sport like dressage? 
Well, you know, I, I was doing the Western dressage and I had clients who wanted to get into the West, into the gypsy banners. And so it kind of just happened naturally. We got the gypsy banners and it started out with the Western dressage. You know, and as you talk about all of the different disciplines right now, you know, I think coming from the background of primarily quarter horse is you're exposed to just that one breed and you're exposed to looking and breeding. You're always trying to get the best of the best you know and it's and it's such a, a market that you know it, it the the horse quality is incredible and so when i came back into this it's really opened up my eyes to look at all the different breeds and that has probably been one of the biggest rewards that i've had is the breeds that i have and right now i i got several quarter horses i have a frisian with andalusian and i have an azteca appaloosa cross we have a dutch harness horse in here now i have an appaloosa half arabian half tracaner i have a gypsy banners so it's just been fun to have all the different breeds and i have missouri fox trotters and i have several of those so that has been a whole nother aspect with the gated and the gated division the gated horses are you know tennessee walkers missouri fox trotters anything that's going to be in the gated so that's been another journey for the all of us who've gotten involved and even the judges because we're not used to all the different gates particularly the the variance of gates within the gated industry so but but that's another growing segment so yeah so there's lots of breeds that i deal with so when you made the transition i mean i'm assuming that before when you were just doing the all-around you had quarter horses when you transitioned and started training and riding these different breeds what was that like did you notice a big difference in the, the temperaments and the training methods that you had to use with the different breeds I've been really fortunate because, you know, the temperaments, we've been blessed with really good horses. And I think one of the things that you learn, and I don't care what you're, what you're training in, is if you're a horseman or a horsewoman, you're going to look at the horses as individuals. And, and I've always learned that you keep with the same program. Some horses are going to get it quicker. Some horses are going to get it little you know slower but you keep the the same program and before i got into the western dressage and you know we now go into christensen performance horses i i went under the title or did business as training for life f-o-u-r and the the f was for foundation o was for opportunity u was for understanding and f was or the r was for reward and respond and that was probably my looking back i kind of have that mentality coming into the western dressage many years ago because what you found is it is about your foundation you know and if you look at the dressage pyramid you start with those ground levels your building blocks and you work up the ladder doing all the different maneuvers and you're what you're doing is you're building muscles and muscle groups to do those upper level moves so what i found was you know the free walks all those are in the lower levels but you know you're going to get some horses that are going to be a little more temperamental i have a half arabian half tracaner who we just say he's got a very large personality and we just know how to work with him and bring the best out in him that's really cool i i'm really interested with the you were you mentioned the gated part of the western dressage is that something that's fairly new to the association 
No, it, no, it's been around for quite a while. Um, a very good friend down here, Tori Blankenship, who was in Missouri Fox Trotters, and she was on the board, and she was once again a pioneer. Um, she did the Fox Trotters and did the uh, did the breed shows like all of us did, and started playing with the Western Dressage, and she became very active, very proactive in it, and was involved with Western Dressage. And they've added it when we show at the Western Dressage World Show. The Gated's actually are in their own division. So they show gated horses against gated horses. Most of the shows that we do that, that we do show at, do separate the, the, separate the gated horses out and they show in their own division. Not all of them do, but most of them do. So, and yes, it's growing. Not maybe as quickly as the rest, but yes, it is growing. And once again, it's a nice alternative. You know, Scott McGregor's up in Tennessee with all the Tennessee walking horses. He brings a pretty good contingent to the world show. So, yep, there are folks out there who are taking it on. One thing that I'm kind of fascinated with is the two different disciplines and how the fundamentals really are the same. And there are so many similarities. So what were some things, what are some things that you have noticed and that you're still using from your all around foundation that you're using in your Western dressage training? Okay, I think one of the comments that I received over and over and over that came back from our judges and clinicians and stuff they were teaching us and she said, I used to come down here, Tim, with all your people, and we would be doing the clinics and stuff. She said, what I really noticed is that your people were dead on because coming from the all around program, we know that if you're going to show against 20 or 30 other people in showmanship, that your straight lines better be straighter than the other than the rest of them, or your circles better be prettier and rounder. So that comes with us naturally. So I think that's what we bring into it is the precision from the all around world. The rainers really, the rainers and the working cow horses really have an advantage when they come in because they already have forward. They already know circles. So it's a nice transition. I think one of the things that we really have to learn is, is that we we had to move like from the all around world or that background where we don't ride with contact you know, we ride western pleasure and the western riding on a loose train and it's all in your legs and you control them slow them down with your seat and your legs that we carry them every stride one of the things that i've had to become more accustomed to is not being in all that control you know and self-carriage in the dressage room, we want these horses to have self-carriage. That means they're going to go do their job. You know, when you ask them to lope a circle, they, they need to lope a circle, trot a circle, and you don't need to work so hard. So you want that blending and you want that look. I think the other comment that we've noticed over with judges and people coming in, if you're going to say, well, what's the difference? I'm coming from a traditional background in traditional dressage. Western dressage tends to focus more on harmony. So they really look at the harmonization of the horse and the rider together. So, you know, it's, they definitely have gone hand in hand. You know, I say the all around background, it's gotten very competitive. Did we do things always correctly and perfectly? No, but we did do a lot of things really, really well. And I think that you look at all the positives and, and those strong foundation things have carried over and definitely helped me in my program. I would imagine the pattern placement that comes from all around background has been a huge benefit to transitioning over to the Western dressage. We actually, we had Brad Kearns on the podcast right before you. He's my previous trainer and yeah. I was, I rode with him for about 12 years and, and pattern placement was a very hot topic and it seems to be, you know, the same kind of thing as, as we talk about the Western dressage. I mean, truly the pattern is, you know, they give you the meter size and, and where you need to go from what letter to what letter. And it's, it is all about pattern placement. 
So what we what we learn, and I've learned really quickly, is these are tests. So, and I think when we went back down to in 2015, when I was at the Fox Lee Winter Circuit, is I decided that I would rather be encouraged to move up the ladder, the ladders or up the levels, than trying to shoot at something that I really didn't know. And that came through fairly evident because others thought, oh, this is a pattern. They went in and executed the pattern. But what it really is, it's a test. And these judges are looking for very specific things. You know, they're looking for even footfalls. They're looking for straightness. You don't want no curves. We do not want the hips when we're loping down the rail. I used to get dinged for that all the time. Straight, straight, straight. So you have to realize is that this is a test and you're going to go out and kind of really show the judge where you're at in your, in your level and in your training. And you're going to get a score based on that. The scores of 65 or higher or 65 is really where you want to shoot for. That that's considered a, a really good score. 60 is a qualifying score. Well, we, you know, we come back and we want those nice big scores. The other thing that I tell everybody is if you go off pattern in the dressage, test they will blow a whistle and it's not a big deal and i've told particularly youth riders if you go off pattern don't worry about it they're just going to it's going to be a two two point deduction out of your total points so it doesn't really make up a big deal so of course they go off pattern the first time and they cry when they come out and then they realize oh you were so right it wasn't a big deal so they don't crucify you for that you also get to have a caller when you're in the in the test so because there's a lot and there's a lot to do a caller's allowed to call the maneuvers for you the other big thing is you get a score so every time you look at a test you're going to look at the maneuver box and that judge is going to look at what is what they're going to be judging and the criteria in that specific box so i'm going to tell you everything can go south really quickly but if you can keep it together and keep it in that box, it's not going to destroy your test. So if things go wrong, the horse spooks, the horse acts up, you miss the lead, fix it in that box before you get on to the next box, which is the next set of maneuvers. That once again really took a while to grasp. You know, that things could go wrong, but it was in that box and you could score really well in all your other boxes and you still did got a good score. So... I, I have a friend who came from the cow horse world and, and, you know, if, if you lose your cow or something, you know, they blow the horn and you're done. And, and yeah. she has, she does dressage now. And she said the first time she went off pattern, they blew the horn and she just stopped. Cause she was just like, okay, I'm done. I went off pattern. Yeah. yeah. And then she didn't realize that. Yes. Yeah, in the dressage, you might forget an element of your test, but you can continue on with the rest of it and they will score you accordingly. And, and like you said, she, I went to one of her shows and they had, you know, a caller and I was like, wow that's a really great idea for these like younger the the lower divisions i realize in some of the higher divisions they don't have that but it's nice that they have that ability to to call out what's next in the test because they are very long to memorize and i would imagine that can be a little overwhelming for a novice rider Oh, they are. And actually, I use caller almost all the time lynn does a lot because when you're showing so many different levels and there's four tests per level. That's a lot of tests swimming in your head. The other thing that's fun and interesting is every four years in the dressage world, the tests all change. So 2022 is the year that we have new tests in the Western dressage. We will have them for four years and in four years, they will change again. It's a lot of the same elements from year to, you know, from transition to transition or from test change to test change, but different patterns or, or different flows. We call them flows to the test. This 
year's test seemed to really flow really nice. What are some things that you would recommend for riders who are looking to either just try the Western Dressage or transfer over completely? Where would you recommend they start? You know, I would first go to the Western Dressage Association World Show or their website. They have a lot of things there. They have a lot of videos and, and just to try to tell you where to go and get started you can get the rules you know look at the rules the tests are available there you can download the test and what i was trying to tell people is what i've learned is and i've done it now for a while that if you follow the test you're going to really realize there's a flow so you start out and i always make everybody we start at intro one um, intro one is down that center line. You know, we want to work on straightness and we're going to turn right or turn left. And then they're introduced to half circles, half 20 meter circles. And when they start knocking out those 20 meter half circles, then test two brings you up to full circles. And then test three, you do diagonal changes across the arena, et cetera, et cetera. So if you look at that, follow that flow. Obviously, if you are a seasoned rider or seasoned trainer or you know amateur youth rider you're going to flow right into the basic fairly quick because you're going to know those things but what i've learned is through the training and we have to go back to that foundation because i remember in that symposium i was at i had judges say you know well we can tell if, if you're shortcutting because they, they're looking for those building blocks so one of the things you're going to learn in the intra division is halts our square halts are looking for, which is a balance and strength. It's not like just teaching them in showmanship. The free walks, that's real big. Those free walks are real big in the intro division because as you go up the levels, your stops really come down to enter and halt at X and you end at X and salute. So you only get two times to have a really good halt when you get to the upper levels. The same thing is your free walks. The free walks is where we want the horses to freely walk. They want to stretch their nose down and they want to stretch those muscles through their neck, through their top line, all the way through their lower hip. And they want to take that hind leg and really up and step over the footfall of the front leg, front footfall, or we want them to overreach. You know, if you're looking back in the all around background and the pleasure stuff, overreaching was not good. Dressage is, is really, really, they like it. So that takes time to, to develop. Most of us are going to come in with horses that are pretty broke, pretty seasoned. But what I have learned, and I have one mare now that who's really, that's been a struggle for her is that free walk. And it's just now really coming on. And we're in the level one, and I really need to have that solidified because as you get up higher, your free walks are going to be from a smaller section from one letter to the other rather than across the arena. So you want to have those foundations really rock solid. So even if you are going to come in and think you can go right on to level one or whatever, spend some time at the intro, spend some time in the basic, learn the elements and learn the geometries and get those solid foundations really really rock solid before you go off for people who might not be as familiar with the western dressage can you kind of explain how the leveling works i know that like certain you know more difficult advanced maneuvers kind of show up later in the levels and and not so much in your intro classes really good question so when i did the all around or whatever back then i would always say when you got on a horse I would say you'd go hunting for the field. So if I got on a hunt seat horse, I knew what I was looking for. If I got on a Western pleasure horse, I knew what I was looking for. 
when I started in the dressage and I had a horse that we got to didn't ever leave shore level four when the pandemic hit, but she was, we were schooling level four, which at that time was our top level in Western dressage. But as I got up those levels, I really began to understand where we were going and going up the levels has definitely helped me at the lower levels because I kind of know where I'm going now. But one of the things that you realize is that intro flows to basic, basic flows to level one. And the, the thought is that when you go on to level two, now we're at a whole new level. And level two is like going on to college. And what I always tell everybody is if you really want to know the direction where you're headed, look at some of the big FEI shows. And if you get to watch them on, you know, get to watch the dressage where they do them in Europe and, and our top Olympian riders, you want to watch them, watch those top maneuvers when they're doing the pee-offs and the purettes. Okay, that is the direction where everybody's goal is going to. That is where the pyramid that I talked about that and the muscles and the muscle groups, you've laid those foundations low. And as you go up the letters, that is where you're ultimately trying to get to. No, not everybody makes it up to that level, but that is the direction. That's the route you're trying to go. So is that something with that trainers can't, you know, I'm so used to in the all around where the trainers show in the open classes and can they show on the different levels? How does that work? Oh, yes. Yep. You can show any horse at any level. You know, there's, you know, I think once you get traditional, then they have, you know, prerequisites and you get to Grand Prix and that stuff. But, you know, you can do like when we go to the world show, I always do all my horses two levels. So if I'm doing most of them will do basic level one if you're going to do level one or you're going to do intro and you're going to do basic just because it's so far to go and you only show one class you know per division today so you kind of want them to to blend in and not to, to cross over one of the things that you learn and that you're going to hear is that you start to work at home a level higher than what you actually exhibit so if you're going to exhibit basic you really you you're probably now playing at home and you're training in level one where you're looking for your lateral movement you're looking for a, a lengthened trot that type of stuff so yeah because you're your ball building blocks is what you're doing and is there like you know in in i guess the all-around or, or raining or whatever you know you have your your green events and and you point out of those is that kind of the same concept in the western dressage do you do you have to level up or, or can you no. stay in the okay yeah, no, you do. And, you know, and I think one of the beautiful things about the Western dressage is, is, is it has attracted so many individuals from their Western backgrounds. And I'm not going to see the all around there because I've had rainers, you know, that, you know, working cow horses in these folks are saying, you know, kind of did all that stuff there. They're, they know that to be at the peak of that game. It, it takes a lot physically as well as financially, you know, and commitment wise. So they're really ready to do something fun and a little bit different. And this seems to have been a really good alternative for them. But what I've told them is one of the things that you realize is if some of these folks who are, I got riders from their seventies, you know, and you can stay in the intro or the basic level. You don't have to go up. So we have a spot for them where they can feel comfortable and they don't have to move up. Yeah, they want to. And that's the desire. You want to go up a level and you want to, you want to train your horse. You want to increase, you know, the maneuvers, but no, you don't have to. Sometimes we opted this year with the one horse. We kept her right back at level one. Cause once again, I want to get those free walks. 
nailed and turns on the haunches and stuff where she physically now is really doing really well. So now we're starting to play with level two. You know, we're starting to get trained for that. And I'll probably do her at the world show in level one and level two. So, you know, pick your program. You know, I always say seek a guidance out there on with a local professional, you know, and I seek out, you know, some of the traditional writers and take their input. Because I think one of the things that... You know, we always want to say we broke out two-year-olds. How are they? Well, you know, how they lope? And customers would want to come and say, "Are they loping already?" You know, after thirty days, they wanted to see them go around. And this is a different concept. You know, once again, these horses were going to stay in a frame. They got to keep that neck up in that position as they trot down and halt and square, and they don't change. You know, so when you salute and you go back into the trot, you want that frame the same. That takes a lot of muscle development to keep them there so you know those are the things and the other thing i've learned is these horses are going to tell you where they want to go you know when we used to come through and we met resistance or we met some things where the horses didn't want to now looking back i see a lot of those horses were they were challenged you know they their muscle development wasn't there they physically it was hard for them you know when you wanted to bend to the left and bend to the right well you know we're asking to stretch all these muscles not just giving their mouth so you have to look at all of that and once again you take it horse by horse and rider by rider I love that it sounds like there's a place for everybody, rider and horse, in Western dressage, which I think across the board in any discipline, not one in particular, that's something that we struggle with. With Like you said, you point out of a green or a rookie class and then you don't have enough horse to compete in the next level or you don't have the financial means to compete at that level. And and I think that's really important because that's the only way that we're going to see our industry grow is if we find a place for everybody. Yes, and that is really, and in the Western dressage world, it really has been an open home to a lot of individuals. And, you know, and I think that's the one thing is I had my, have my eyes open to all the different breeds. And when I got there and now my appreciation is so changed you know now i look at the horses as individuals and to see the draft horses you know i got a spotted draft that i work with and he's a world champion and you know and you just have to go ahead and look at all these horses and, and look at where you want them to go and i think the other thing that's really comforting in this is don't force yourself up until you're ready to go in other words let this kind of be a natural development was that a couple of years ago he was here and in doing some work on the client's horse and, and his strong background was in the dressage, a lot of dressage horses. And he said, you know, these folks are putting in years and years and years of development into these horses. So they do a lot more maintenance than maybe the average person does because they don't want to get to this horse when it's 13, 14 years old and they're hitting that top level and they're looking at Grand Prix or precinct, whatever that level, they don't want something to go wrong. And that was, and I remember when he said that, I really thought, wow, it does take years to develop these horses to do that. And yeah, you'll have situations where people, because you can do the pattern, once again, remember the pattern versus the test, you see it, some horses at upper levels that maybe should be a little more comfortable at a lower level. And that kind of all works itself out. But yeah, it is. It's definitely a spot where everybody can find a place where they can belong with them and their horse. So something kind of going off of that, when you are starting a horse in the Western dressage, you know, I feel like in all around horses are started young compared to some other divisions or some other disciplines, like for example, the hunter jumper, you know, they won't start a horse over jumps until they're 
six. And to me, when I first found that, I was like, that's crazy. Like they should be doing everything by the time they're six. But so how does, where does that fall in the Western dressage? Where, what age do you usually start those maneuvers? Well, you know, I think once again, you know, I look back at all the horses I've had and all the two-year-olds and, you know, before we go through and, and got them really broke for their discipline, I think, wow, I had some of these horses that would have been phenomenal because they were so free moving, you know, and then we kind of restrict them and bring them back. So once again, that's going to go breed by breed and horse by horse. You know, I know that in the gypsies, you know, when you look at the gypsy banner, those horses are, are, are the, they're small draft horses. They were bred to pull carts. So they're not bred to lope circles. And so you physically have to look at these animals and they're, you know, even in that world, the walk jog division is huge because they're walk trotters. You know, they trot when they pull the cart and that's what they're bred for. So you have to look at them because you don't want to do a lot of loping on those big bodies when they're hitting the ground. So you got to wait a little bit longer until they mature. That's the other thing I've learned, you know, different breeds mature at different rates. Absolutely. I, I think we see that too with the with some of the the english bred horses versus some of the western where those you know they're they're so much bigger they take longer to grow and to fill out and so that makes sense kind of going back to to more of like your history is there any horse or any memory that really stands out to you over your career Oh, you know, the biggest memory that would stand out to me is we were really blessed with some Western Pleasure horses. I'd bought a yearling stud from Hetty Levin at R11, and a friend of mine had bought a baby who was, they were out of the same mare. So we had a yearling and a weanling, and my parents wound up with, he's just too sharp, who was the maternal brother to my stud face, a big leaguer. And, you know, as I look at the memories, we kind of came through and, and I was very blessed that I could look at babies, weanlings and, and have a pretty good eye where I bought a lot of horses down at R11 as weanlings and yearlings. And a lot of them went on and did really, really well. But probably one of my biggest moments was we had a horse that my parents had, and then had bought from my friend and John Barry had shown the horse and won the world show, I think in 1994 in the senior pleasure. And my mom came back and she was shown in the amateur pleasure. And the biggest memory there, that horse had had an injury. We had turned him out and he'd had an injury and we had to have him on stall rust. And we just didn't tell anybody but John and the vet that we were working with because we knew that we had a time frame where we could get the horse right back. We're talking like right up to a week or two before the Congress where he was able to go and canter and stuff like that. And my mom went in and, and she'd won the amateur pleasure at the Congress that year. And that was probably of all the memories, just the one that really stands out because we were kind of homegrown people. And I would say we were kind of average people that you know, we all worked hard. We worked really hard. We were just blessed that we bought nice horses at a young age. But, you know, dreams fulfilled. You know, and as I look back, is I remember one of the things that Lynn always told me is that in your career, there's always a time to move on. And we were blessed with the Western Pleasure horses. We have great memories, but there was a time to move on, you know, move on to the all around, move on to the, to the Western dressage. And it's been just a blessful experience. I, I can relate to that. I, I moved on to the cow horse in the reining after 20 some years in the all around just because I was ready for a new adventure. And, and like you said, you know, you've, you were really blessed and, and you won some really great stuff. And that's kind of how I felt too. And I was ready to, to try my hand at something new. You've mentioned John Barry, you've mentioned Lynn. Are, are there any other mentors that have been part of your life? 
You know, right now I agree to Wrigley. Greta is a, a trainer and I say she's a trainer's trainer. She's just really mentored me a lot in the dressage and the traditional side and taught me the maneuvers, taught me really what you're looking for. I had a friend that when we got into this, she showed one of my horses in the traditional side. We went to the, to the training level and we went with a little quarter horse, Western pleasure horse, and she wound up being AQHA training level reserve one year and champion the next year that you go in there. And she said, you know, you have to submerge yourself and be open-minded. And so like when I went with Greta and she's taught me a lot, you have to really open yourself up to be, to, to really think outside the box. You know, John Barry's blessed us, you know, he helped us with the pleasure I trained at the time, but you know, you know, you learn a lot with those guys. You know, I look back, I was blessed with a, with a great 4-H leader, you know, and I talked about that when we started out, Cheryl Fitzsimmons, and once a week we had a work meeting, and we would go and, and learn the foundations and the fundamentals. I had one, one of my very first instructors, Lynn Robinson, it was Linda Rignacourt from the Arabian World. She was my first really official instructor. And back then, and she, so she gave me my first English lessons and she contacted me about a year ago on Facebook and says, this is Tim that I used to do, you know, teach lessons to. And we have reconnected with her kids. And then I'm actually going to be going up to a, an Arabian show who offers the USEF Aubrey's discipline. And we're going to be showing Arabian qualifying for the regionals. And, and I told her, I said, I want you there because I'm going to do a sport horse rail class. So, you know, there have been so many along the way, but those were the key ones for me, you know, that just stuck out when, you know, looking back as a kid and, and working up the ladder you know because sometimes it's a dog eat dog world but i always tell people if you have a passion just hang there with it you know stick with it so that is so true and i think it's really cool that some of your still men biggest mentors that you recognize are ones that you when you just started i think that's really important and something that a lot of people forget about are their first trainers that really taught them the foundation and, and the love for the sport so when you're, you, you know, you've talked a lot about prospects and when you are finding young horses, what are some things that you look for in a young Western dressage prospect? Oh, now what I'm looking for is forward motion. You know, I think the other thing that you hear a lot is joints were meant to bend. Okay. So they want to see, and I always tell people, if you're in that all breed world right now and you're in that all around world and you have one, you know what the ones that really do well are the ones that are too Western for English and too English for Western and they don't have a home. And those horses really excel. Like right now I, we're starting some and, and I have one that is an Appaloosa Azteca, which I'm not real familiar with all of that. This horse is a gorgeous mover and a happy horse and so you start to look at these horses who who are self-carriage and self-carriage means they're going to carry themselves around they're going to be carrying a little more upper level their heads are going to be up more we don't want them down you know low we always say if the bridle disappears and you're riding the horse is too heads too low and they're too behind the vertical so you want the horses that are good movers free move the, the horses that walk you know want that hind foot to fall into the front foot when you do the free walk if they can overstep overreach you know you just start to look at that you know the free canners are going to go around with a good elevation and once again they're driving from behind you know everything and the impulsion comes from behind and you're going to go up level and I always tell people, stop and look at these horses that do pirouettes and they're back on their haunches and they're twirling around. That takes immense strength and immense energy to do that. So, yeah. So everything from the, a little bit backwards that I used to look for, you know, flat knees, tight hops, and now bending at the joints. So. 
I like it. With with all the breeds that you have in your barn, have you have you seeked out those breeds? Have they just found their way to you? How have you gone about expanding your your barn to different breeds? They've all found me. They've all found me, you know, because once you, you know, we, we did a lot of clinics and I did some fun shows here and people were, were always intrigued. They wanted to hear about it. So they would come try it out. You know, I've had a lot of people come do some lessons and they kind of fall by the wayside. But the ones who love it have stayed. And I always try to tell people, if you're in a part of the country. You know, how, how do we get started? We don't have an active association like we do in Florida. You know, we've got a group of us that are pretty strong showing. So we got some good shows. We do fun shows. Don't be afraid to start at a fun show at your farm or at a friend's farm, you know, and, and, and make some connections with traditional people and say, hey, this is what we want to do. Can you even come and maybe have somebody who can come judge us and do it? We call them ride a test. You know, have somebody come in, do a clinic or have a judge come in and you ride the test and then they're going to critique you and give you a lesson afterwards. So I always tell people, think outside the box, you know, get a group of friends together and have a good time. Because the one key thing that they say is it's about the journey. It's about the journey. And you really want to enjoy your journey with you and your horse. Well, I think at the end of the day, we can all agree that the reason that we do this and we go to horse shows and, and put so much money and time and effort into this is because we love what we do and we love these animals and, and, you know, to, to just do something fun like that. I think is huge because it brings us back to why we love what we do. And and I think that's a really great reminder. Yes. Yeah. It's and the camaraderie, you know, people are, you know, they all, you become friends and you, you show with everybody. And I remember my friend Karen told me, she said, Tim, it's all about the score. 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 Well, you know, when you show from background, when it's about 40 horses in the class or 30 horses, it's all about the placing. And it took me a couple of years to really get comfortable that it is about the score, you know, and you want to get those scores and you, and you get the comments back from the judges and they're going to give you a lot of instruction. So if you're kind of on your own and you go, you can read those and you're going to get some pretty good input the most of the judges are pretty in line you're going to get some of those judges who are lower scoring judges and they're consistently they're going to be a little more conservative um, some are going to be a little more generous but look at your comments look at the results give them to your instructor what is this what are they looking for if you see a theme coming through from a lot of judges you know tight resistance you got to do some homework you got to seek a little guidance and get it get it out you know get it worked out before we kind of wrap things up, anywhere our listeners can find you online or on Facebook or anything like that? I'm on Facebook, yep, um, under Tim Christensen, um, also under Christensen Performance Horses. Our email is tchristensen, T-C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N-S-E-N 62 at gmail.com. You can send me an email. You know, you can seek my phone numbers out or out on the websites and on Facebook. And we pretty much, I get messages and emails all the time. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and you do a ton of clinics, and, and I'm really excited about this new video series that's coming out on Horse and Rider On Demand. That's our introduction to the Western dressage world. You were so nice to work with us for two days, and, and we got a ton of content. Jillian was, she got back. I mean, it was, she was telling me everything that she learned while she was there, whether it was just like the different saddles that you use to, yeah. to using trail poles to get your horse ready for a, a you know, test. And, and so I think our listeners, our readers, our 
subscribers are, are going to love your series. So I'm really excited for that to come out. You know, and it was so much fun and it was so long. And now I'm actually, I'm really excited if we do round two, because I know of all the different stuff that we really want to get into and the tests and stuff like that. But yeah, it was fun. You know, it was real windy and uh, but we did it in February and it was sunny and it was warm. So yeah, it was really fun. So and I hope people enjoy it because I and I'm looking forward to expanding it. We are too. We've had a lot of people email us or we, we send out surveys to our, our subscribers so they can tell us what they want more of. And, and one of the things that they kept saying is Western dressage. We want Western dressage. And, and Jillian was like, Hey, I know somebody that lives just two hours away from me. And I was like, Jillian, what are we doing? Let's go. Let's get this film. Let's do it. You know, and, and the fun part is, is I didn't come from the traditional side and I came from the strong all around, you know, I do the, the all around stuff when I was a kid. So when people come, I know where they're coming from and beginning writers. I think one of the, the, the most rewarding things is if I have somebody who comes with a green horse and a green rider, as I always say, one of the two is always ideal. One of the two know what's going on, but we can stop and I can give them a good lesson even if it's walking forward and halting and we're working on that square and we can get some things going where they're, they can go home with homework, you know, where you come back from the background is you had to learn how to use your legs and maneuver and get the ring skills and all that kind of stuff that this truly is. You can, as an instructor from that point, you can start dead on right with anybody. But I think, you know, I bring that background is when they're going to come from that all around background, I know where they're coming from. And now I kind of know where we're going and it is a transition period, but you know, it, it really has helped. I think that's something that's going to be so great for our, our subscribers in your video series is just because you went over so many different things and then you brought it back to other disciplines, you know, like you were comparing 20 meter circles to the reining and, and horsemanship and just so many things that everyone's going to be able to resonate with and, and use. You don't have to just be a Western dressage rider to benefit from the things that you went over. So I just, I think everyone is going to love it. It's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. And it really is picking up in the breeds, you know, all the breeds are adding into the world shows and their bigger shows. And so it's fun. It really is. It's I, pretty much, it's a lot of fun. It really is. Yeah, I, I did an interview with somebody uh, with us that owns a, a reining stud that now she came from traditional dressage and she's showing him in the Western dressage now and she did fairly well at the AQHA show. And I was just like, why take a, you know, why did you decide to take a reining horse who has, you know, won, you know, an insane amount of money and, and then did very well in the ranch riding and the, even the cow horse. And I was like, what made you decide to do the Western dressage? And she was just like, do you know how fun those horse shows are? They are my favorite horse shows to go do. So. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it, everybody I talk to that is a part of Western dressage, whether it's at a high level or at a local level, all have the same thing to say. It's just so much fun. It is. We have, you know, we have fun at our local group over here and the world show is, is a ball. We love it out there. It's, it's a world show. You know, you're going to have several hundred horses versus a thousand or so. So, you know, I always tell people too, you have to understand 30 horses show up at your Western dressage show and you all do two or three tests, you have one long day. So you're, you look at the numbers a little differently. 
like I always said, it's about the score. So people are going to say, well, I go, if I go show up my local show, how did you do? I got this about well, how did you place? Well, you may be the only one in that division in that, that level, but you want to look at your score because your scores are converted to points. To the USCF, when our scores are turned in, they're converted to points as well as the breed shows. So, you know, 60 is a qualifying score. You know, you start bumping up and you get in the 70s. You know, it's really fun. You rack the points up. But yeah, it, it is about the score and and you can blow a division. Like I said, you can blow that box. I still get some really high scores, you know, like in the mid seventies and I have gotten a four or five or something went really wrong. So when it goes wrong, you have to realize that so coming back that, yeah, you maybe took off on the wrong lead in your Western British class, but you know, you're out here. You can recover and still finish really, really strong. Not to mention that feedback is just so helpful that you get back, whether it's the comments or or you can just see the breakdown of the score. And, and you know, there's no, you know, in, in other events, you might have somebody be first place under one judge and then eighth or ninth under another. Whereas the, you know, the scores, the, they're all going to be the same. If, if somebody is a conservative and they score lower, everybody's going to have those lower scores. If they score higher, everybody's going to kind of have that same score. And I think that's a really big selling point, too. Yeah, and you know, and the other nice thing is that people are looking for the shows or whatever is you get a time. You know specifically if you're gonna show at eleven thirteen, that's when you go in the arena. And they're pretty much the shows pretty much run right on time. They don't want to get behind. So that's another thing I always tell spouses or significant others if they're gonna come along is you know, you know exactly when they're gonna show or when you're gonna show, so it's not a wait around all day type thing. So yeah, that's another big problem that's, that people like. That is something that I have just loved about it. I, I did a little bit of Western dressage a few years ago on a uh, hunter under saddle horse that I had, and, and I showed him at a couple local Western dressage shows. And you know, they when you send your entries and they give you your time, and it was like, so I'd, I have to be there at like noon. Like I don't have to come in the night before. I can come in that morning. Like it was just, it was so nice. I wasn't stressed about missing my class or anything. It was, it was. It was really great. I, I wish that all disciplines could adapt that because it was it was very nice having that option. But yeah, it's a really refreshing environment for a lot of people. So. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I know we're we're past the hour mark and I'm sure you're you're busy getting all these horses ready for competitions, but we so appreciate you coming on here and talking and and well, hopefully giving our, our listeners a, a little excitement for the on demand series that's coming out with you. We're looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning into the Ride Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Horse and Rider Magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com. If you guys have any questions or comments, please be sure to hit us up at horseandrider at equinenetwork.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes.